And uh, we're going to kind of park ourselves here in verse 26 for a little bit. Uh, we're here today, and then uh, the guys will be filling in the next two Sundays, and then we'll uh, be uh, back in this uh, Romans 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. As we look at this passage, this is one of those passages that everybody flips out over and creates new ideas and new doctrines about. And we're going to talk about, it's really we're talking about the issue of prayer and I don't want to take anything away from you. What I want to do with you is help, is add to your understanding of what the role of prayer is today in the dispensation of grace. So we're going to introduce the issue this morning about what prayer is, how it's going to work, and then we'll develop it out in a couple weeks when we get back from uh, our little vacation. Come with me to Lamentations chapter 2. The Lamenting of, of Jeremiah, Lamentations chapter number 2. When you read that verse in verse 26, you have some crazy ideas that come up, uh, that come out in religion. And it's fascinating to me that when you read scripture and you read it literally, the way it reads, you don't read into it. You don't read something that isn't there into it. In a minute, when we get down in 26, we're going to see where Paul says, we don't know what we, that includes himself, includes you, because that's what we does. We is the, you know, instead of reading in, so what people say is, is here I am, I'm groaning, and I'm praying, and I don't know what I should pray for, so the Spirit takes my prayer, rearranges it to match the will of God, and deposits it into the Father's lap. Now, what of that makes any sense to any logical thinking person? God knows everything. He doesn't need the Spirit to rearrange the, to match. Follow that. He doesn't need that. He already knows what you're going, we're talking about the Father. He doesn't need the Spirit to come in and abracadabra, boom, boom, you know, <laughs> Father, he really meant to say this. No, you meant to say what you said in your prayers. You get some wacky ideas when you come to the issue of prayer. So it's like, wait a second, what's really going on here? And that's really what we're at. Lamentation chapter 2. If you look at verse 19, Lamentations 2.19, Arise, cry out in the night, in the beginning of the watches, Pour out thy heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift up thy hands toward him for the life of thy young children that faint for hunger in the top of every street. See how he says there, pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord? That is a biblical definition of prayer. What are you doing? You're pouring out your heart like water. Come over to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel, oh, it's not 1 Samuel. All right, where's Hannah? Oh, is it 19? I need Hannah. Where did Hannah go? Is it 1 Samuel 1? Yeah, there it is. I'm sorry. I was right. <laughs> I didn't, I look, actually, I was in chapter 2. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, Hannah, we lost Hannah. <laughs> so when you think about prayer, and again, what we're going to be dealing with in Romans 8, by the way, in Romans 8, it's the first time Paul is going to talk to us about prayer. He never talks to us about praying the sinner's prayer in Romans 1 to 5. So we know that's a bunch of hooey. Now he's going to talk to us about prayer in Romans 8, first time. First time in Romans 8, he talks about the working of the Holy Spirit 
in the life of the believer. It's Romans 8. Not over here. He mentions him in 5.5, Romans 5.5, about the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Spirit. But here in Romans 8, we're going to get into it. All right, 1 Samuel 1, uh, verse 9. So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon the seat by a post in the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. Now, again, God, the Godhead, they're omnipresent, they're omniscient, they know everything. And what's Hannah going to do? She's praying to the Lord, isn't she? Verse 11, she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thy handmaid a man-child. Then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. That's the Nazarite vow, number six. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. How Hannah... I'm sorry, now Hannah, she spake in her heart. Where is she speaking? Where is she praying? What has Eli done? He's marked her mouth. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? But away uh, put away thy wine from thee. We're going to talk about that next hour. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Look at the connection. She's praying to the Lord for Samuel, ultimately. But she's praying, and what she is sorrowful, sorrow of the heart. And what did she do? She poured out her heart. I poured out my soul before the Lord. Prayer is just simply pouring out your heart, pouring out your soul like water. You know, water, you guys got the storm last night the big, in the East Valley, okay? Water just goes wherever the least resistance, doesn't it? Finds all the holes, <laughs> okay? And what, what prayer is the opportunity to communicate, to commune with the Father in a very intimate manner, a very personal manner. You see, prayer is a wonderful privilege. It's a wonderful means to commune, to pour out your soul, your heart to the Father. That's all that prayer is. Prayer's not, I, I, religion's got us begging God to come down here and fix something, you know, Prayers, the, religions, the religion out there, and when I say that, I include grace believers because there's some whacked out grace believers about this stuff. You wonder how they could ever rightly divide the, their word when they get just tripped up in this because what happens to prayer in people's minds is it gets to be this hoodly do woo mystical stuff when actually all it is is you communing with the Father about the details of life and how to take his word and apply it to life. You're literally repeating to him his own word, but you're doing it in a very intimate manner. You're doing it in a, in a very intimate relationship with him. And he wants that. He wants to have that intimate relationship uh, with, uh, here, here's just another one. Come over to Ecclesiastes 5. He wants to have that intimate relationship with you because you're an adult. You're a, you're a son. Think about the Lord Jesus Christ and his earthly ministry. All through the Gospels, we're in Mark right now, and we just did some side stuff in, in Daniel 9, but all through the Gospels, Jesus Christ is praying to the Father. Now think about that. Here you got God the Son communing with God the Father in prayer. That's why the apostles ask him, teach us to pray. And he teaches them the Our Father prayer because it's a very specific situation and so forth. 
But he's like, teach us to, they know what prayer is. They just want to make sure they're praying, well, not like the heathen pray. Much repetition, hopefully. You know what, you know what happens when kids, kids come along and they bug you till you do what? Cave and give in. What do the heathen do? Same thing. It's interesting, he tells them, don't pray like the heathen pray. And then he goes on later in that passage in Matthew and scolds the Pharisees as heathen. It's interesting. The heathen. Why? Because what does the Pharisee do? I'm not like that guy. I tithe and I do this, and I'm not like those sinners and publicans. And he's just a constant, yeah. And that publican just bows his head and says, no, I'm a sinner, man. That's, you know. Help. The heathen. You got Ecclesiastes 5 now? Give you a little time to find these books. We don't, you ought to tr travel in these a little more than you probably don't, than you do. Ecclesiastes 5, look at verse 2. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth, therefore let thy words be few. Now, but what I want you to catch is, what can you do? Utter what? Anything to God. Come over to Philippians chapter 4. For you and I, you know, give, give you a little Pauline verse here. Philippians 4. I got accused of some of that one time about, well, you don't use enough Israel passages, so there you go. I, you know, I'd rather worry about us than Israel any day. Philippians 4, look at verse 6. Be careful for nothing but in... What? Everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's fascinating when you talk about prayer, you bring everything to him, and the design is to keep your hearts and minds. It's always associated with your heart. Come back to Romans 8. It's always associated with prayer is with your heart your minds, your thinking capacity, the inner man realm. If you look there at Romans 8, verse 26, let the, likewise the Spirit also help with our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, and he that searcheth the what? The heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. He's going to search your heart, and what's he looking for? The mind of the spirit, that thinking realm. And when you come to prayer, again, crazy ideas float around out there. And, and you know, I, let's add to that understanding of really what is prayer. We, we should have an intelligent response to something that God has made known to us in his word. And if you think about prayer and how it's designed to work, here you are, you've got the Word of God sitting in your lap. You take that Word and you read it, you study it, you put it into your inner man. Then when the details, what's verse 26 say? Likewise the Spirit helpeth with our what? Infirmities. What's the context? The context is verse 18, the suffering of the present time. He's going to come along and do what? Help. We talked about that last week where he comes up and he helps lift the burden. He's working with you. He takes the other end of the table and he helps move it. He doesn't remove the problem. So you take in the word, you got the word working in, you got things going on in life, whatever they can be. By the way, it shouldn't always be bad. You should be praying and thanking the Lord for the good times as well and be, rejo be rejoicing in that. Okay, rejoice evermore. And again, I say, rejoice. So when you're rejoicing, you ought to be thanking the Lord. Now, we usually don't do that because we've, our flesh says, whisper up there to the genie in the sky so he'll change your circumstance. That's what Job's wife said, just curse God and die. And he goes, no, I'm not going to do that because the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a, is a big God. Actually, he calls him God Almighty. You take the word in, your inner man, Life does what life's going to do to you, and you repeat back to the Father this, here's your word, here's my understanding of your word, 
help me apply it over here. What's verse 26? Likewise, the Spirit, what? Helpeth. Help me apply it. How do I apply it? We have this wonderful opportunity, a privilege to talk to the Father in a very intimate way and manner with him. And when we pray, we're really expressing back to the Father what his word has taught us. And that causes you and I to be held responsible and accountable to what God's doing today. So if we're over here in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, knock and you shall, it'll be open. Ask and you'll get, and it isn't happening. What's, you're like, what? It's not, but when you come over here, you go, wait a minute. Here's where we ought to be today. What's he doing today? That holds you accountable. We're, it was said, and I wrote this down, that we don't live in ignorance. We live, we operate based on doctrines learned. We're, he's, reve- he's made known everything. Ephesians 1, he's made known the mystery of his will. You can't say, what is the mystery will of God? It's been made known. So you know what? I'm going to come over here now, and I need to get into it, and I need to look for it. Every answer, every prayer that you pray has been answered in the word of God. It's there. What we usually do is go, Dear Lord, show me the answer. Isaiah 1.1. The vision of Isaiah. The son, no, that didn't work. Okay, Lord, show me the answer. Oh, Matthew 1. You know, that's usually how we do it. And you know that. You might have been there. When you come to Romans 8, Paul's laying in the foundation here about some issues about the issue of, hey, here's how to take his word and how we're going to apply it to the details of life. Here's how the Holy Spirit is designed to work in your life, and he's designed to come along and to do some things so that you can have success. And you can be, verse 37, more than conquerors in all things. And all these things, the context of Romans 8, were to be what? More than conquerors conquers through him that loved us so we have to get into this now Romans 8 verse 26 there's something very interesting here as we kind of begin to look at the issue of prayer that for the first time Paul says something here in verse 26 that ought to startle you it ought to whoa he says Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Again, we looked at that. He comes along. He's going to help you pick up the boulder and move it. Then he says, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. That's the first time. What's startling is, is he says, we know not. That's the first time that Paul, in our growth here in Romans, has said you don't know something. Up to this point, he's always said what? You know this. We know. Know ye not. You know. We know. I know. We know. We. And again, the we. It's him. It's the first time he says that we don't know something. It's a change in the language here. He's going to include himself because, well, he's our apostle. He's our pattern. And he's, he's including himself because even Paul messed up in this area. He even himself has made a boo-boo, a whoops. But he's, we're going to see it here in just a minute, he's learned from it. And as our pattern, then what should we do? Learn from it as well. And when Paul says, we know not what we should pray for, we don't know what we should pray He's not talking about we don't know to pray or how to pray. He's talking about the content of our prayer. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about the mechanics. Do I bow my head, close my eyes, get down on my hands and knees? Do I sit? Do I ra- You know, if he, he says pray without ceasing. Have you ever thought about pray without ceasing? How does that work? Well, it says pray without ceasing. That means you never stop doing what? pouring out your heart to the Father. So that means when you get in the car and you go down the road, you close your eyes and bow your head. Now that's the way some of you drive. 
and I usually end up behind you. It's not, it's not a posture. Now, there are some times when you have to, serious things are going on, and you need to, you need to stop the moment and, and bow your knees and get down on your knees. There's surely time for that. But that isn't, the, that isn't, it isn't get in your prayer closet, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That isn't that. Again, now there's times I, I have, I've sat here and just broken hearted, you know, bam. It's like, okay. But when he says pray without ceasing, if you understand prayer to be talking to the Father, you, if you're always talking to the Father about what's going on in life, what are you doing? You're praying without ceasing. But if you have prayer as to be that moment in the morning when you meditate and you just do this, then guess what you're not doing? Praying without ceasing. You, you prayed for the two minutes to ask for the winning Powerball numbers. You know, and we've all been there. The other day, I got my truck back. <laughs> Knock on wood. And you know what? I'm sitting there going, Lord, I know we're in the dispensation of grace. But just one time, just 30 seconds, stop it, change it, zap the fire out of this truck so I can have a reason to go put the money down on a new one, you know. Just can't pull the trigger. I don't have the money to put down, but, you know, you feel that way. Just one moment, Lord, just stop and zap that dude right between the ears so he can straighten up, you know. Now, we know he doesn't work that way, but what does our flesh want? Our flesh says, stop the world and let me get off. Just stop it. He says here, we don't know, he's talking about content. He's talking about the content. Should, should I pray for God to intervene, alter, manipulate, move, deliver me? Or should I not be praying for that? Well, what's God, what is the will of God? The end of verse 27. What is the will of God today? He's not doing that. He's doing something else. Paul says, you have everything. You, have, you are an adult. You have this wonderful identity. You have this wonderful relationship with the Godhead. Quit talking like a child. Now, here in 8, we don't know that yet. We're learning. We're still growing. But we're coming to understand that what? What did we look, look back at chapter 5? Just look at this real quick here. Think about this. What do we already know? We're in 8. What do we already know in chapter 5, verse 3? And not only so, but we glory in what? So, what is our understanding already about tribulations? We should what? Glory in them. Why? Because we understand verse 1. We have peace with God, don't we? Because we're justified, we have peace with, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But we know something in verse 3. We know that tribulation is going to what? Work. You see, we've already had our thinking adjusted to the issue of suffering and tribulation. It's going to do what? It's going to work. What's it going to work? Patience, patience, experience, experience, hope. We already understand that. So when we come in here to Romans 8, the great chapter on suffering the section of it, all of a sudden we get this dummy thing twitch. Okay, God, move it. Move that mountain. A little prayer of a mustard seed will move the mountain. I, ain't look, I just don't have to move it far, just over a little bit. And we get stuck on stupid, as they say. And it's like, what happened? What did we just learn? Chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, all of this great identity truth until we come to prayer. And the reason for that is prayer is very emotional. And when you allow your emotions to begin to dictate what's said and done, see, rather than truth, now, it doesn't, I, I, now I didn't say take the emotion out of it. Because when you're suffering, you know, it's tough. It's a, an affliction. But what's our perspective about it? It's a light affliction. It's only for the moment. Because what do we know? We know that it's not worthy to be compared. Remember the scale to the glory. 
so we have the ability to adjust our thinking. And that's where we sit here in chapter 8, verse 26. The context, the language in the context is clear, folks. You're going to suffer. You're going to have infirmities. But you got a helper. Look back up there at verse, look over at 8.22. If you're not back in there, 8.22. For we know, what do we know? That the whole creation groans and travaileth in pain together until now. We know something, don't we? We know, verse 23, and not only they, but ourselves also which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. What do we know? We know. Why, why are we groaning? We have that connection with creation and the curse placed upon it. So when things fall apart, we shouldn't go. We, we shouldn't fall apart. We should look at it and say, hey, here's an opportunity where I can go and apply these verses in living reality in my life. There it is. I can apply these verses and I can have the Spirit, the first fruits of the Spirit. The same guy that's going to install you in the heavenly places in glory is the same one right now that empowers you to be able to come along and help you pick up the boulder and move it. You follow that? That's what we're dealing with. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Prayer comes. Talking to the Father comes from a place in the context of where we're groaning. What did Hannah say? She was sorrowful of heart. She was crying. What does she want? She wants a boy. <laughs> Give me a man child. She wants a kid. She's broken hearted. And it comes from a place of not asking God to remove it and to change it, but rather saying, hey, look, in it, let me bear it. Help me. So Paul, including himself in the we, says, you know what? We, we don't know what we should pray for as we ought. We, too, sometimes can be ignorant in our prayers, as we ought. We too sometimes can allow the flesh to creep in and the emotions to get the better of us. And you know what? It's okay when that happens. You know what you do? You just stop and say, okay, that was that. Let's go back over here to this. <laughs> you know, okay, that was here. Now let's get back. And that's what, by the way, verse 24, we know what? We know that we're saved by hope. We walk by faith, not by sight. But sometimes that old flesh just gets in the way. It happens. happens. It happened to Paul. Here's the great apostle Paul. And he says, you know what? Even I was a little ignorant here in my prayer life. Our, again, our flesh gets in the way. That's our problem. And sometimes we get to looking for God to step in and to, to move it and to remove and to do this and to do that. And yet in reality... We need to remind ourselves to, to operate on the doctrines learned. And that's what Paul's getting at us. What do we know from here in chapter 8, there from verse 23 and 22? Well, we know 2 Corinthians 4, don't we? The outward man perish, verse 16, but the inward man is what? Renewed day by day. The outward man is doing what? Perishing. In Philippians 2 over there, verse 13, he says it is... It's him that worketh in you to do his good will and pleasure. I just, Philippians 2.13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Where does God work? In you or on you? He works in you. And that's the point to remember. 8.26, Paul says, hey, we got the Spirit. It's going to help us. He's going to come along and pick up his side of the table and help us. But yet we're still... We are still expected to do what? To handle it, to bear it. If, if you look over with me at 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, a verse we've looked at, 10.13. You see, Paul's not going to tell us here, hey, dummy, just pray right and God will remove it all. He says, no. That's not how God's working today. It's not how he's operating today. 
1 Corinthians 10, 13, there hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. You know, I was using my truck situation as an illustration because it pokes fun at me and Chevy. And uh, that has happened to everyone. It's what? Common to man. Okay? But what do we know? But God is faithful, who will not suffer you uh, to be tempted above that ye are able. I had a lady one time tell me, Rick, I just don't think I can handle it. The weight is just too much. And I said, well, look at this verse, and it says that you're able. You'll, you'll be okay. It won't seem like it, but we'll get, you there. we'll get there. We'll get there together. But we'll, with the temptation, also make a way to, what? Escape. There's the spirit that's going to help our infirmities. 826. But it, it doesn't end there. That verse doesn't end. It says what? That ye may be able to bear it. That's 826. The Spirit's going to come along and help you pick up his side of the table. By the way, his side of the table is going to be the light side. You're going to have the heavy side. Why? Because you're expected to do what? Bear it. You're expected to go through it. Why go? Why does he? Exp why? For the present sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared to what? Glory. Second Corinthians four seventeen. The light affliction is but for a moment. It worketh for us a far more exceeding. See, hey, he's not going to violate you. He's not going to cause you to lose the opportunity to gain some exceeding weight and glory. There. He's going to be, come back to Romans 8, just so you see this. Romans 8, 26. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings. By the way, groanings, who's groaning in the passage, in the context? It's not the Spirit, you and I are, aren't we? Creation is. That's not about the Spirit going up there going, well, when he went, oh, he really meant, oh, <laughs> it's not him. I had a guy, I saw a guy do that one time. The groanings, you're groaning over here. And he did it baritone. Then he goes, over, then the spirit's over here, and he did it tenor, soprano. It's not that. It's just stupid. That's all that is. And everybody clapped. And I'm like, what? It's your, who's groaning in the context? You are. Creation is. Verse 27, and he that searcheth the hearts. By the way, who's the he there? There's the Father. What's he searching? Your heart. And what's he looking for? What is the mind of the Spirit? What's the thinking of the Spirit? The end of the verse. For the saints according to the what? Will of God. What's the Spirit do? He reveals the deep things of God, doesn't he? 2 Corinthians 2. Or 1 Corinthians 2, I'm sorry. So what, what is he looking for? He's like, hey, are you, prayers intended to stir up your heart, to come along and to stir up your thinking, and to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to take what the Word of God says, and I'm going to apply it to the situation. And what the Spirit is seeking to do is to come and align your thinking, your heart with his heart, with his mind, so that the will of God is what's done in the moment. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. What is the will of God concerning you? In everything give thanks. Now in Ephesians 5, he says for everything give thanks, but in, in everything give thanks. So in everything, what am I going to do? I want to do the will of God. What's the will of God? Give thanks. Well, in the moment when it's a... Uh, you know, the sky's falling, chicken little. You ain't thinking about giving thanks. What's prayer do? Father, I'm in this moment. I know that verse says I'm to give thanks. So you know what? I'm giving thanks. Who helped you do that? The Spirit does. The Spirit comes along and does. Do you follow that? And we're just introducing the topic this morning, Okay. That's what's, that's what's happening here. So in Romans 8, 
26, as he starts, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. The question is, is what is our expectation of prayer? And in Romans 8, 26 and 27 here, the expectation of prayer is to do something in the realm of your inner man so that we can change the way we live our lives and we can approach life the very way that God has equipped us to approach life. In Romans 8, we're learning this. Do you follow that? That's the expectation. That Philippians 4, 6 and 7, somebody asked me, so I can't pray for Sister Susie's toenail to get healed. Well, you can pray for it if you want. If you want to pray a dumb prayer, that's fine, because God's not going to do what? Heal. By the way, why would God heal when we just learned in the whole of chapter 8 here that suffering is designed to work for you a far more way to exceed eternal glory? See, you're, you're asking God to do something that violates what God wants to accomplish in you. So, do you follow that? Uh, we looked at it. All. I, okay, Re- rewind in your thinking. <laughs> If not, I just said it to you, okay? <laughs> you see, we sit over here. He's not, what's the expectation of the prayer? Philippians 4, 7 says that the God of peace would do what? Keep, protect, guard your hearts and minds. That's inner man. Have the proper thinking perspective about this. You've been equipped to think this way. Think it. Get in it. Here you go. Now, come over with me to 2 Corinthians 12. Because when Paul says, uh, on your, you know what, on your way, stop in 2 Corinthians 1. When Paul says, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. The we there is including Paul himself. Because Paul is going to now use himself as an illustration, as an example of how the ignorance of prayer, <laughs> praying an ignorant prayer, and how it's going to, how you can come along and it can fix you and help you, okay? And bring you to some maturity. We don't know how to do something in Romans 8. We're just, first time he's talked about prayer in any major way is right here. And we're learning. We're, we're still babes. We're still getting in the foundation. We don't know how to do something. First point is, is understand that it is not a permanent state. Okay? It's not a permanent issue. Uh, I told you chapter 1. Hold chapter 1. Go to chapter 12. 2 Corinthians 12. We'll get back to chapter 1 here in just, a sec- in just a minute. Look at 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 1. So the first issue when he says we don't know how we ought to pray, how to pray as we ought, it's not a permanent state, but rather it's a, it's a growing, it's a maturing issue. Look at 12.1. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. What is Paul saying? I don't got it all. There's what? More to come. You see that? In Romans to Galatians, he didn't get it all. He gets it as progressively as it moves along the period of time. Okay? It's fantastic. If you think about this, come back to Acts, um, Acts 26. I use Acts 26 because it helps us understand what was said to Paul in the vision in Acts 9. In Acts 9, you have Luke just recording the eyewitness accounts of what happened. In Acts 26, Luke is sitting there in the courtroom with Agrippa, and he's hearing Paul's personal testimony. Verse 13 is where it starts. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And he goes down through it. Now watch verse 16. 
but arise and stand upon thy feet. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. Watch the Lord tell him why I appeared to you. To make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen. What did he just see? He saw the risen, ascended, seated at the right hand of the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. He just saw Israel's Messiah. That's who you just saw. The one that he, as a Pharisee and a Hebrew of the Hebrews, knew was coming, studied and saw, helped crucify, helped kill Stephen, who, by the way, Stephen in Acts 7, doctrinally there is so much happening. The fall of Israel in Acts 7, he, Stephen declares them uncircumcised in hearts and ears. He, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit through Stephen just said Israel is one of the Gentile nations now. They're heathen because you killed the Messiah. And now you killed, you killed the Father in John the Baptist. You killed the Son in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now you killed the Holy Spirit in Stephen. Three strikes and you're out at the old ball game. He just declared. So when Paul says in Galatians 2, I'm going to the heathen, that included lost Israel. The uncircumcised Israel. Genesis 17 says uncircumcision is cut off from the land. They're cut out of the program. They're cut off from the covenants. They're on the wrong side of the wall. Paul in Galatians 2 also says Peter's going to go to the circumcision. Who's that? That's a little flock. Acts 16, I'm sorry, verse 16. Both of these things which thou hast seen. What did he just see? Israel's Messiah, where though? Risen, ascended, seated on high, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. What's Paul knows coming? More information. By the way, keep reading. Delivering thee from the people, that's unbelieving Israel, and from the Gentiles, unto whom, what's that word? Now. When? Acts 13. Acts 28. Acts 15. No, Acts 9, at that moment, on the road to Damascus, Paul was converted, saved by his gospel, and then commissioned to go to the heathen. Who are the heathen? Unbelieving Jews and the Gentile nations. To say that that verse says anything other than that is just ludicrous. Verse 18. By the way, how can I make such a statement? Verse 18. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Are sanctified. There's a group of people that are what? Sanctified. Who would that be? The little flock. Who is the little flock going to inherit? Talking about an inheritance. Fear not, little flock, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. But notice, Paul's going to go preach what? Forgiveness of sins. In Acts 13, the first public message of Paul, he says forgiveness of sins isn't in the law of Moses. It's over here, and this guy you guys just killed over here. He ain't preaching what Peter and the boys preach. He's not even talking to the little flock. He's going to be talking to who? The heathen, unbelieving Jews and Gentiles. But what does he know is coming? More is coming. In Romans 8, now go back to 2 Corinthians 12. That's all, that was all sideline commercial for you. In Romans 8, you don't have it all. He, he, now, Paul does, but you and I don't. We're not, we're not in Ephesians yet. We're in Romans. We're building the foundation. And he says, you don't know what you ought to be praying for. The content of your prayer life isn't there yet. We, Paul included, we make a mistake. Look at verse, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 2. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years. Whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such a one caught up to the third heaven. 
And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. So Paul talking about himself, about the Acts 14 event here where he's stoned and left for dead. He goes up into the third heaven. And what does he get? He gets a revelation that he can't utter. Now, you got some whacked-out ideas there about that, but you go study it out, and what you learn isn't the, that the whacked ideas are just that, wacky ideas. He says, listen, it's not time for me to reveal what I just saw up there. Because what I just saw up there ends up being the Ephesians doctrine and the big picture, and he's, it's not time. In, at Romans 8, you can't handle it. <laughs> Because you're not mature enough yet. You haven't grown up yet. You're not, in Romans 12 and following, maybe a little bit. What did he say to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians? I can only know Christ crucified among you. You're babes, you're babies, you're carnal. You're not there yet. I ain't going to give you the heavy doctrine. You just got to have the milk. In Romans 8, we're still on the bottle, if you will. We're growing. Do you guys follow you follow what we're doing here, what Paul's doing? Verse 5. Of such a one I will glory. Yet of myself I will not glory, but where? In mine infirmities. Notice Paul. He drags us back to 826 in his thinking and says, you know what, I don't know how to pray as we ought to be praying. But I'm going to glory in my infirmities because I know I got the Spirit helping and I got things Okay, but I'm not quite sure how this plays out. Now watch what he does. Verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. Notice it's a plural now. In verse 1, it's plural. Visions and revelations. So in order for me not to get a fat head about all this, puffed up, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Now, everybody wants to know what the thorn in the flesh is, but notice there's a comma, and notice it's the messenger of Satan. That's what the thorn in the flesh is. In the context, in chapter 10, 11, there's a, there's a certain individual that's constantly poking Paul, causing trouble. Schofield's got a note about him, it being his eyes, and thorn in the flesh was a chronic athamala, bodily weakness, and all this eye stuff. It could be. Paul doesn't identify it out, but when you go in the Old Testament, you know what you find out? The thorn in the flesh stuff is, it's a messenger, it's an individual. To what? Buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. So what is Paul saying? I'm glorying in my infirmities because I got the Spirit to help. I'm doing good, right? Verse 5, you see that? Verse 7, I got a thorn in the flesh over here. I have a, an infirm. I got a guy messing with me. So what does he do in verse 8? For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might what? What did he just do? He went, uh-oh. He made a mistake, didn't he? What did he just ask God to do? Remove it. Manipulate the circumstance, God. Intervene here and do it. Now, could God do that? Sure he could. He's been doing it with Paul all along in his earthly ministry in Acts. But that stuff's done with now. It's diminishing away. It's going away. Why? Because the age of grace is moving on, and that time past period there, the fall, the diminishing of Israel is coming to a conclusion. What did Paul just do? Uh-oh. Now, you could, some have said, and I don't know if it's the case, that he was in, when he was in the third heaven, that's when he asked God to remove it. <laughs> I don't know. Could be. All I do know is what did he ask the Lord to do? Same thing you and I do. Move it. Remove it, Lord. You see, what Paul's going to do now is how is it possible to glory in mine infirmities? How is it to come along and make a mistake? Verse 8's a mistake. That's not the will of God. We don't know how we ought to pray. We know, we, we know not how we ought to pray as we ought. Now, 
in the context, Paul, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, saying, I don't have all the information yet. I do know the glory of my infirmities. But I asked the Lord to do something over here. I messed up. Now look at verse 9. Because God's going to do something to Paul here in verse 9. And he, God, said unto me, actually he, Lord, verse 8, said unto me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. What did the Lord just do to Paul? He just did a mental attitude adjustment on Paul. He just, Denozo slapped the back of his head, if you will. He just reached up there and said, Paul, you forgot something. Paul, I need, we need to adjust your thinking. Paul, don't you remember what I told you in Romans 8? What's Romans 8 say? We don't know yet how to pray. I need to adjust your thinking, Paul. And you know what? My grace is sufficient. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. He looks at Paul and he says, same thing you do with your kids. What are you thinking? <laughs> what are you doing? Paul, remember Romans 8. Remember, I have already answered the thorn in the flesh, Paul. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? No one. You're a more than conqueror. Who, you've got the spirit to help your infirmities, Paul. What, Paul, verse, you were doing good till you got to verse 8, Paul. What are you doing? Oh, you blew it. Now, we're not in Ephesians 1 prayer and Ephesians 3 prayer, any of that. We're over here at Babyland, foundation, I shouldn't say Babyland, foundation, prayer down here. And again, I'll tell you, the first five words of that verse is the answer to prayer in your life. And he said unto me, what does the word of God say? Well, it says, my grace is what? Sufficient, doesn't it? That's the answer to a lot of our prayers, by the way. Sufficiency. It has been described as you don't need anything and there's nothing more you need. And I like that. You don't need anything and there's nothing more you need. You know what? You are lacking nothing. When he says my grace is sufficient, you got it all, man. You just have to reach over there now and access it. You just need to reach over there and understand that my strength is made perfect in what? Weakness. Just let it go, dude. Just let it be. By the way, his strength is made perfect, notice the verse, in weakness. Not by your weakness. In your weakness. It's in our weakness. It's in our brokenness. The place where we have no one. We have come to rock bottom. And all we're doing is looking up. And you know who we look up to see? Him. And the sufficiency of His grace. And when we come to that point, again, what does your flesh say? Don't you look weak. Don't you let that guy up there tell you you don't know your Bible. Don't you look weak. Don't you do that. Flesh wants to look strong. Christ says, that's okay, you be strong, because in a minute you're going to hit that block wall over there, and when it lays you out unconscious and then you look up, I'll be standing there to do what? To help with your infirmities. When you hit that bottom... My grace is sufficient. If you come back to chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, chapter 4, look at verse 7. I don't know if you've ever wondered why he did this in, in, in your earthen vessel, but we have this treasure, the treasure of the ministry, the treasure of the glorious light, 
of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in an earthen vessel. Why? Why did he do that? That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Chapter 3, verse 5 up there, he says, not, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves. Man, when somebody thinks something, thinks more highly of themselves, <laughs> they're in the wrong thinking pattern. It's time to adjust the thinking. But our sufficiency is of who? It's of God. Now go back to chapter 12. Boy, what good news that is. That tells you you don't have to try and deal with the issues of life all on your own. Who do you have? You got the spirit that comes along and helps you with those infirmities. Verse 9, the answer to prayer, my grace is sufficient. By the way, it's not in the absence of weakness either. It's in the weakness. Weakness is there. His strength is perfected in the weaknesses. Why? Because we are vulnerable. We're not looking at our own abilities. Now we're looking for help. And who's there to help our infirmities? The Spirit is. So then Paul's response, most gladly. What a knucklehead is that going to? Most gladly. Therefore, he's had his thinking changed, adjusted back to where it should be. He's had his change back to verse 5. I'm going to glory not in myself, but in mine infirmities. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'm going to, he's had his thinking adjusted back to remembering Romans 8.18. The present suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. He's had that Whole, his whole value system adjusted. But where? In his inner man. If you come back to chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 7. And look at verse 4. By the way, 2 Corinthians is the great comfort epistle. It's also the great epistle where Paul, you look into Paul's life how he conducted life, how he conducted ministry. It's very personable. You find out in Paul that he had a fit of depression. You find out in Paul he had struggles with things, just like you and I do. He's human. And yet at the end of it, he says, hey, I have triumph, I have glory. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmity. 7.4, he says, great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with, what? Comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulations. Boy, what a mindset. Paul says, you know what? Back in chapter 12, I'm going to glory in my infirmities. Verse 10, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproach and necessities and persecution and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I am become a fool in glorying, yet have compelled me, I'm sorry, ye have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you, for in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostle, though I be nothing, and off he goes. And you know what he says? Hey, Let's get back to Romans 8. Go back to Romans 8. So when Paul says here, we don't know, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, he made a mistake too, just like you and I do. But what corrected Paul's viewpoint, Paul's thinking? The word of God to him. What's going to correct our viewpoint? Same thing. The word of God to you and I. You're going to grow. Paul grew. You and I are going to grow. And when we grow and we begin to adjust our thinking to the way an adult son would think, that's going to impact that inner man. That's the point. Okay? Now, the rest of the verse we'll deal, we'll deal with some mechanics of prayer and so forth next time. And then we'll work our way down through the rest of 26 and in 27. Because again, when you think about this, how Paul is talking, not how religion has thought us. By the way, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them. Boy, wait till we get to that verse. Oh my goodness. 
Because usually, you know what they say, to them that do good, to work together for uh, good to them that love God, to whom? They say, I see, you better be giving in the tithing back there in the offering box or else it ain't going to be good to you. It's like, what? That's no, by the way, that's nowhere in the passage. <laughs> okay. All right. So just kind of think about prayer. Again, next couple of weeks we're off. We'll be back. We'll pick up and do some mechanics of it and so forth. When Paul says we don't know what we are, he's talking about the content. You know how to pray. The heathen know how to pray. Dear Lord, I'm going into this test. Give me all the answers. I, I had a joke one time. The guy said, you can't keep prayer out of, you want to keep prayer out of school? Never have a test day. Because what does everybody do? Test day, they're cramming. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for who we are in your son, for everything that you've given to us, the sufficiency that we have in your grace. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we'll be back at 11, and then we'll talk about